This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. I wonder if you would uh, turn to Genesis chapter 8, please. Genesis 8. Well, if I could just reiterate Richard's um, warm welcome, it is really good to be back, isn't it? Good to be together. We're better together, and um, I, I really believe that for all our church members and for visitors and guests, family, friends, um, I simply believe we're all here for a reason. And um, God has something very specific. Probably you've already heard something that's touched you, spoken to you, shown you something. Um, I believe that's God's intention for all of us this morning. And um, since Easter, we've been in the church here, have been in a, a, a series in teaching and preaching, which we, we've called Boundary Stones. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, uh, do not move the ancient boundary stones that were set up by your forefathers. And that verse, um, we're just using that as a a hook, as it were, to, to hang some things which we believe in terms of truth and orthodoxy are ancient boundary stones that should not be moved. And um, anybody with, with an ear to what's going on will know there's, there's um, great pressures to move things, redefine things, abandon uh, things that uh, people wouldn't have dreamt of abandoning in the past. And so um, we had a pause over the summer in that theme. We've been, we've been doing some other things over the summer. But, but now coming into the autumn, we will resume that um, series um, not in particular detail this morning, but the first thing we'd been, we'd been covering was aspects of what it means to be people of covenant. Yeah. And that will, over the next few weeks, go on to include aspects of the marriage covenant, covenant with one another. But, um, so have that in your mind. We're going to be referring to covenant a few times this morning, but mainly what I would like to do this morning is set a context for the autumn and winter and um, share on something that I felt the Lord spoke to me several weeks ago. Just a little phrase. Uh, It wasn't a Bible verse, it was a phrase. Uh, I think it spun out of something I heard Deborah prophesying when we were visiting the church in Wakefield. And I'll come back to that in a minute, but to to give it um, a biblical setting, I want to read three stories from the Old Testament. And they're all fantastic stories, so if you get nothing out of today, enjoy the scriptures now. uh, Genesis 8. I'm going to read three stories, and um, I'd like you to spot the link between them all, okay? It might not be obvious, it might be really obvious. It's obvious to me, because I've been thinking about this for weeks. Okay, Genesis 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. So God is flooding the earth because he's so so distressed, so moved by how wicked things have become. And he's instructed Noah to build an ark. And Noah, as you um, probably know, has taken his family, seven or eight of them, and a pair of every living creature... Uh, and everything else has been destroyed by the flood. But Noah and his family and one pair of every living creatures uh, are in the ark. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. And he sent a wind to blow across the earth. And the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing. And the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth, and after 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. 
Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. And after another 40 days, Noah opened the window he'd made in the boat and released a raven. And the bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. And this time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. And then Noah knew the floodwaters were almost gone. And he waited another seven days, and then he released the dove again, and this time it did not come back. So that's the first story. The second is in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2. This is the story of um, after the death of Moses that Joshua is is called to lead the people. And uh, now they've finished their wanderings in the wilderness. It's time to enter the promised land. And they get themselves ready. And then uh, the first thing Joshua does is send two spies in to spy out the land. And that's the story we'll read here. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who've come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she'd laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered... You'll let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. And then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. And then when you've returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we've taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your um, your mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, <clears throat> leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. 
And then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. That's the second story. And the third one is in Daniel. So you're going to have to go past the middle of your Bible into the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Chapter 6. Daniel 6, verse 1. Okay, everybody there? Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officials, high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. And then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible. And completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days... Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So so King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. And he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. We'll stop there. Sorry. You'll have to read the rest at home. Has a great ending. (laughs) Okay, anybody spot the links? The link. A place of safety. Sorry, Hillary. Obedience, Brenda. Protection, Ian. Oh, a window. Okay. See what happens when you let people from harbour into the church? Indeed, the link, there are are other links are all true, but the link I wanted to focus on is this. In all the stories, there is an open window. And what I felt God spoke to me some weeks ago was this. We need to throw open our windows. Mighty Noah opened the window of the ark and released the raven and the dove. Faithful Rahab welcomed the spies and let them down through a rope, uh, by a rope through the window. And then uh, she sent them on their way and she left a scarlet rope hanging from the window. Uncompromising Daniel 
heard the news of King Darius's decree, but nevertheless, I love this, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. I felt God say it, it was time for us to open our windows wide. Open our windows wide. And, and as I thought about that, I, I thought there's something of letting the fresh air of heaven into our gatherings, into our church life, into our homes. But there's something also about letting the life of God out of this place and into the world. That it's time, a fresh time, for the life of God to be released out of this congregation, that we, that we mustn't allow anything to be confined by the four walls, that we need to have a new confidence in, 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 in the sound of our worship filling the community, that this is an era in, we, in which we must be facing outwards, a new season in which the windows are to be wide open to release our life, the life of God, and our doors are to be wide open to embrace everyone coming in. That we've got to be sure to let God in and let the life of God out. Our windows must be wide open. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I see the church everywhere. I see Christ and his body everywhere in the scriptures. Wherever I look, I find Jesus on every page. I find uh, his body expressed in manifold ways. I find images, pictures, uh, stories, pointers that tell me more about the people of God. Tell me more about the church. Tell me more about Jesus, the head of the church. And so in these three stories, in Genesis 8, in Joshua 2, and in Daniel 6, I see us. I see the church. I see this church. I see this company of people. And and I'd like to just explain some of that to you as we, as we look at these things. In Genesis 8, Noah is aboard an ark that he's built according to the pattern that God showed him. You'll see all that in Genesis 6. And this ark is the first vessel of its kind. There's, there's never been need for a boat before because it's never rained before. There's never been a flood before. There's never been floodwaters on the earth. There's been no need for a boat before. And so Noah receives these instructions to build this thing. And it's huge, isn't it, when you read the dimensions. And um, I'm just thinking now of that film, that Noah film, where his, his beard just keeps growing. And, um, so he builds this thing, and, and everybody's gobsmacked, wondering what on, what on earth is this guy, this crazy guy doing? building this thing that seems to have no functional purpose. But then the floods, and the floods come. The rains come. So Noah is building something according to the pattern that God gave him. He's building something that's never existed before. Something that is entirely new. Something that is built to preserve life. To carry life. Something that has been built as a home for his family. To save them. It's a picture of the church. Built according to God's to the God-given pattern. Built as a, as a company of new creations. Pioneers, carriers of life. Who are being saved from the corruption that's all around us. And the ark contained all the life necessary to repopulate the earth. At that point in time... Every living creature on the earth was in the ark. Every, living, every surviving living creature was in that ark. Everything necessary to repopulate the earth was in the ark. All of life was in the ark. Nothing was missing. There, there was no, um, there, there was nothing, they, there was no inadequacy. When the waters receded, when the boat came to its stop, when the people got out, when the animals were released, there was enough there to repopulate the whole earth. It's a marvelous thought, isn't it? It's like that garden at the beginning. All the seed for all the life that would come for all eternity was in the garden in the beginning. And we have another picture of this here. And, And if I can say this, it's a picture of the church. We're carriers of life. 
We have all that we need to repopulate, to create life, to share life with all the world. We lack nothing. And Noah opened the window of the ark. In, I think it's eight, verse 8, I think it is, chapter 8, verse 8. He opens the window of the ark and he releases a raven that, that just begins to fly around. And then he takes one of the two doves and releases it. And sends out this dove from the warmth, from the life, from the family, from, as it were, the confines of the... I don't know whether an ark has four walls, but... From the, from the sides of the ark, from the, from, from the containment of the ark, this dove is sent. Yeah. All of us should start to see some pictures here. Yeah. This dove is sent to carry life, to breathe life, to, to take its breath and start to recreate and repopulate somewhere in the mountains or the valleys of Ararat. This dove and its mate are going to start a new Colony? Flock? Swarm? Dovecote of doves. And you, there you go. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's a picture of the church carrying life, releasing the life of the power of God, moving in the spirit, the dove always representing the spirit of God. The spirit of God is released from the church, released from the ark to take life, to carry life to share what it's got with those living on the highs or in the lows, the mountains or the valleys of Ararat. The Holy Spirit doing what only he can do and take life from us and give it to the world. After this um, occasion, um, you probably know what happens next. In chapter 9, the, the, ark, um, the, the, the family and the animals come out of the ark and God makes his covenant with Noah and puts a rainbow in the sky as, as a sign of the covenant. And, and we find Noah to be this man of extraordinary faith, incredible obedience, and a man of covenant. There's probably loads more in there. In Joshua 2, we find that these two spies who are on a mission to look over Jericho, spy out the land, carry out a reconnaissance, see where God is taking them. This is the land God is giving them, and they are there as the advanced party to have a look at it all. Folks, it's a picture of the church engaged in its mission, knowing God is taking it somewhere, but knowing we have to be active in seeing those things come about taking our destiny seriously, knowing God has something for us, but taking action to possess it. God said he'd give them the land. It didn't stop them having to, first of all, spy it out and then wage war to take the land. And here we meet Rahab, a prostitute, who becomes a convert when she realizes and embraces God's power. It's incredible. Just reading it just now, she talks about um, your God, the Lord, your God. And then she, then she talks about uh, the Lord. And somewhere in, in it all, he becomes her Lord. And she, is, um, she realizes, she embraces the might and the power of God on behalf of his people. She's a woman who leaves her past behind and expresses such faith that she's listed in Hebrews 11. And she's mentioned in James chapter 2 as a woman whose, whose actions demonstrated her great faith. Later on, she, she, mar she marries a man called Salmon. She gives birth to Boaz, who marries Ruth and becomes King David's grandfather. She becomes a human ancestor of Christ himself on Joseph's side. It's a picture of the church, a community of the redeemed, where shameful pasts are transformed into sensational futures, where those once defined by unfaithfulness can become heroes of faith, 
where the marginalized can become the magnificent and where a prostitute can become a princess. And this is our story. None of us amounted to much, but our faith in Christ has changed everything. And Rahab opens a window in our home to let the spies out. And they escape through the window. And if, 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 like me, you want to do a study of windows, you'll find there's a few escapes through windows. King David escapes from Saul through a window. Paul escapes from the Jews in Damascus through a window. But as she opens that window to let the spies escape, here's what happens. Her brothel is transformed into a building block of the kingdom. The spies escape. The mission is on its way. But before she releases them, she makes a covenant with them. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 again. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you'll let me live along with all my family. She wants them to be kind to her. And the word there is hesed. Please be kind to me. Please show hesed to me. Remember hesed? This is a woman who has had many lovers. But what she craves is an experience of covenant love. Faithfulness. Loyalty, hesed, covenant love. Because at heart, she's a covenant woman. And God willingly embraces her into his covenant community. And she's to hang a scarlet rope out of her open window when the Israelites conquer Jericho and destroy all its inhabitants. And when she does that, all her family will be saved. It reminds us of Passover, doesn't it? In Egypt... When the angel of death saw blood around the door frames, everyone inside that house was saved. And now in Jericho, as the invading Israelite armies come in and see the blood red rope hanging from her house, everybody in that house will be saved. I think Rahab realizes this is my moment. To me, it's like one of those, the train is, the train is at the platform, yeah. is about to leave. I can get on it, or I can stay here. It's decision time for Rahab. I, I believe it's decision time for some people in this room this morning. She can die with her past, or she can live in a new future. She can leave her past behind. She can join a people of destiny. It's decision time. Death or destiny. Certain death or certain destiny. She can stay behind. She'll be destroyed in her city. Or she can hang the blood red rope out of the window. And she can be swept up with the people of God in a tremendous destiny. When she hangs the blood red rope out of the window, she's showing her true colors. She's a covenant woman. She puts her past behind her. She stakes her claim to be included in God's covenant. And she begins a life of extraordinary faith. It's a picture of the church. Men and women of uncertain pasts, saved by the blood of Christ and brought into a life of faith as part of a covenant community. There's probably loads more in there as well. But we'll move on to Daniel 6. Daniel is... um, Daniel is is, um, one of the exiles, one of the captives and... As we read in the story, he, he rises to um, significant, prominent position. 
I thought Daniel had just disappeared from my Bible. Here it is. Yes. And, um, and, and at, the, at the moment we read the story, it does have a great ending, has a fantastic ending. Um, he's a man of great influence, great favor, great position. As we read there, the, the king is, is considering making him uh, administrator, governor over the whole empire. This is like number two man in the country. But um, a new law is passed. The king is sort of um, uh, manipulated, isn't he? He likes Daniel. But he signs this new law, and and in, in, in signing the new law, he makes it illegal for Daniel to pray and worship God um, in the way that he should do. And so Daniel has to make a choice. Um, This should feel very contemporary. Daniel has to decide, shall I I therefore pray and worship privately? Keep a low profile? Keep my head down? Stay out of trouble? Worship in my heart, but not out loud? Pray, Pray in tongues in my head, but not to be seen or heard by anybody? Or... Shall I defy the law and worship the Lord as I must? And for Daniel, of course, there is, there's no choice. But his response, I still find really provocative, don't you? Have a look at verse 10 again. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to the Lord. He worshipped, he prayed, with the windows open, just as he'd always done. He refused to be intimidated. He refused to bow to pressure, to compromise his beliefs. He continued to worship and pray And folks, he does it with the windows wide open. Isn't this another picture of the church? Facing trials and challenges. I don't want to over-egg things. Law changes, growing persecutions, but living in days where we must do as believers what we know we must do, however unacceptable it is to the world. We have no choice. We will not compromise. In fact... We will do what we should do, and we will do it with the windows open. So everyone can see if they choose to. We've nothing to be ashamed of. We've nothing to hide. So I think these are exciting days of opening our windows as wide as we can. Is that picture up? The picture is up. Good. I think that like Noah... We need to open the windows of our church and let the life out. Knowing we're building according to a pattern. Knowing we have all that we need and we lack nothing. Knowing that the seeds and the source of all life is here amongst us. I find that so exciting to look around this room. Everything we need is in here. The seeds of everything God wants to do are here amongst us. There's enough life here, spirit life, to change the world. There's enough here to change everything. Yes. I've shared this with a few people a few weeks ago. Um, I think I was just waking up and I saw this enormous house and all the windows and all the doors were open, Mm. wide open and the water was gushing, absolutely gushing from the windows and from the doors. And as I looked... Um, the wa- as the water was coming out of this house, it was flooding the streets, bringing life 
I shared it with Diana. I said, do you know what? The church needs to open the windows and the doors. Hallelujah. So I just want to say amen Amen. and amen Amen. and amen to what's being said. Like Noah, we've got to let the life out. The world around us is self-destructing. But the Spirit of God is amongst us, reconstructing, creating life. His life is the hope of the world. We're carriers of divine life. We can't be shut up. It's imperative that we, as Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christians, are influencing, affecting, impregnating our communities, reaching those on the highs and in the lows, on the mountains and in the valleys, the cultivated and the wildflowers. I'm not here to set out a strategy for that because for me, this is not about strategy. This is about how we live. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. I've got to open up, David. I've got to uh, open my home, open my heart. Be be a giver, be a sharer. I've got to be a consistent source of life and hope and encouragement to family and friends and colleagues. I've got to be a giver of life. It's not a three-point plan. It's a way of life to bring life. What we've got here is so good. I don't know whether we always realize that. Somebody said to me recently, you know, I I think you're the greatest hope Market Harbor has got. I think we're the greatest hope anybody's got. The life of God is amongst us. What greater hope could there be? But we've got to let the life out. I just want to, I've mentioned this a few times over the last few years, but you know, at the end of Acts chapter 2, it tells us that each day, each day, people were being saved. The word used for saved there is the word sozo. It's like full and complete and abundant healing. Such a, such a total, complete healing. People were experiencing healing of body and soul. People were being saved each day. And then just within, within three or four verses, it says each day, that crippled man is being led there to beg for his life. And suddenly in three verses, you've got this total contrast. The church each day enjoying sozo life. This man each day begging for his life. We have got to let our life out. Let the life out. Open the windows and let the life out. The dove was released, by the way, three times before it finally found its landing place. And I do want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. If, If your life doesn't land straight away, don't give up. Keep sending life out. Keep sending life out. Let's be like Noah. Sending life out through our open windows. Let's be like Rahab. Opening the windows of our church and showing our true colors. We're covenant people. We're changed, transformed. We're faith people. We're kingdom people. We've left our past behind. We've embraced our future. We're part of God's plan, God's solution, God's answer. We're men and women of destiny laying hold of what God has for us actively. Living in 2015, but with a sense of eternity. I hope you feel totally connected with these Old Testament ancestors. And totally connected with all that's coming. We are living here and now, but we're men and women of eternity. God's put eternity in our hearts. We know we're born for great things. We know that whatever our past, however shameful, however marginal, however 
we would like to forget it. God wants to turn prostitutes into princesses. That's what he does. Like Daniel, let's open the windows of our church and live out our faith. It's time for us very much to defy all pressures. In fact, be more visible. Be more audible. We've nothing to apologize for or be embarrassed about. Quite the opposite. It is time to stand out and stand up. Our Bible isn't wrong. And no amount of drip feeding by the media will ever make this Bible wrong or untrue or will ever make things that this Bible calls sin to be okay and acceptable. Alternative philosophies change nothing. We believe in a word that is eternally true. And I believe it's time to open the windows and let our faith be heard and seen. But let me say this, like Daniel, it's not to make a big deal of things. Daniel wasn't opening the window to draw attention to himself. He wasn't, he wasn't courting, um, courting prison and the lions then. He was simply doing what he always did. He just said, as for me, I'm not changing anything. As for me, I'm not changing anything. I hope that's our, that's our heart, isn't it? As for me and my house, I ain't changing anything. It's time to live with the windows open, with the fresh air of heaven blowing in and refreshing all that we do, and with the life of the Spirit in the church blowing out to refresh the world, connecting with the world, influencing the world, this church, our church, doing those things. We know the world is becoming more worldly. Our concern is whether an increasingly worldly world can easily find, easily join, easily be touched by and loved by a church that's increasingly Christ-like. That's our concern. I've nearly finished, but there's two other things I just want to say about open windows. Because there's probably some other little scriptures in your mind. One of them is in Malachi. Chapter 3, where the Lord says, um, right at the end of the Old Testament, where the Lord says, um, if you will bring the, the whole tithe into the storehouse, I, God says, will open the windows of heaven and will pour out a blessing so abundant that you will not be able to contain it. And as I've been thinking about that, you know, I'm always going to find it difficult to live in the environment of an open-windowed church. Unless I've settled the issue of who owns my bank balance. But if I settle that issue and decide to live as a tither, giving God 10% of everything, giving God a tenth, as the scriptures tell me to, if I make that decision, if I settle that issue, everything else follows becomes easy to open up in every area of my life. The other story, you might not like this one, is in Acts 20. And um, there's a little story here of uh, Paul and his companions uh, meeting on, on, on the Lord's Day to break bread with the church. And uh, it tells us that um, they're in Troas. Here we go. On, on cha- we'll just read this because it's so funny. It also has a good ending. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them. I'm not reading this, by the way, just like as a biblical basis for going on and on and on. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And the upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering... I mean, you could just picture... It's like the windscreen wipers, isn't it? Many flickering lamps. Oh, my wife. This, this is, this is going to be difficult. There's many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. 
And finally, he fell asleep, fell sound asleep, and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. And then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn. (laughs) And then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. (laughs) Good one, Luke. But you know what? Um, I mean, you might say, you know, if the window hadn't been open, he wouldn't have died. Good point. This is the way I look at it. If the window hadn't been open, he wouldn't have been raised to life. And, um, and I do want to just, just to seriously say this. I think this is a time where those amongst us who have become a bit sleepy, a bit lethargic, this is a season in, in which the dead can be raised. <laughs> this is a season, I declare... See, my prophetic brother will back me up here. This is a season in which it is time for you, if you are sleepy, you better wake up. You better wake up. When the windows are open, the refreshing air of heaven is blowing in. Have a read of Acts 2 to see what that feels like. And the life of God is blowing out You don't want to be asleep in it all. Worst off, you don't want to be dead in it all. God wants to wake you up and resuscitate you and reinvigorate you so that you can experience the miracle of resurrection life and being awake and alive in times of open windows. Amen. 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 Lord, thank you so much for confirming your word through the mouth of another witness this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you want these to be days in which there's great openness in the church, in which the life of God is given free... um, is freely released. Freely released. The life of the Spirit of God is freely released from amongst us. Thank you, Lord. These are days where you want us to uh, identify as covenant people, part of a covenant community, men and women like Rahab of faith, and a willingness to identify ourselves by our true colors. And Lord, thank you. These are days for us to live out that faith without compromise, but boldly praying, worshiping, do what we, doing what we do, going about our business as believers with no fear of the future. I want to pray, Lord, that inside every heart this morning there will be a decision to open up in the ways we've been reading about. To make good decisions about living openly, giving away, being sharers. Those that invite our friends, share with our friends, offer love and hope and life and encouragement to our friends. I pray there'll be decisions right across this room this morning to live that way and to hear your word this morning, the word that's come through two witnesses, that that's what you want this season to be all about. I mentioned earlier on, if you just just continue in prayer right now, but I mentioned earlier on That moment for Rahab. Do I stay where I am and die? Or do I get on board? Do I embrace my destiny? 
I want to urge you this morning. If you know this time is decision time for you, make the decision this morning. Make a good decision this morning. Embrace destiny and leave death behind. Leave your past behind and embrace the future God has for you. You know, we, we read about Rahab. She, she, may be, she may seem like an extreme case. She was a prostitute. God turned her into a princess, part of the royal family. Your situation may not feel as dramatic, but you know what? None of us have a past we're proud of. And I, I really want to urge you this morning to say yes to a great future, a great destiny. Say yes to sort of, as it were, getting on board with the family of God, with the people of God. Maybe, maybe that means for you giving your life to Jesus this morning in, in a way you've never done before. Maybe it means you, you, you know things haven't been as they should be. And at the start of this new term, as we've come back after the summer, you know, what better day to get right back where you need to be with God. Maybe you felt sleepy, lethargic, and rather than risk falling out of the window, now would just be a great time to, to recommit your life to Christ. And I do pray, Lord, that for every one of us, there'll be a decision today to open the windows of our lives, our homes, our church, and live as those enjoying the winds of the Spirit in these great days. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.